Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. My name is Greg McDonough. I'm the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors and the chapter president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington, DC. Today's guest is a best-selling author, trainer, ICF professional certified coach. She's a trusted partner and problem solver. Her company was ranked 526 in the fastest growing private companies and 12th in the education industry by Inc. 5000 in 2021. She is the founder, president of Coach Diversity Institute, Tawana Burris. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Greg. It's good to see you. It's amazing to have you on the show today. So today, we, our show, we love to dive into leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, what are some misconceptions around leadership? Well, you know, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind is some of the challenges that I see with my clients. And that is in the days that we're living in now, obviously, we're in the COVID years. We are not quite in an endemic. Um, but what happened with leaders is they were no longer viewed as like they were employees. The biggest misconception is that a leader is in somehow some inanimate object that does not, is not thinking and feeling, but is supposed to assume all the responsibilities and challenges of the employees or the people that they're leading and that their thoughts, feelings, emotions, stress actually don't matter. So the biggest misconception is that they are and I only have one in this season because I, this is what I've been talking about again and again, is that uh, that leaders are employees too. And they require the level of support and care, um, empathy and structure and vision and discussions from the executive level all the way through to mid-level. Um, they, they deserve and need that care as well as employees. They cannot be exempt from that. And I think that so many people have gotten caught up in thinking that they're not employees. That's really insightful. Um, and you mentioned how you've seen that shift in particular across the pandemic. Talk to me a little bit more about how you would have answered that question before the pandemic. So before the pandemic, I would have said um, that there, that Leaders would, would sometimes believe that, you know, vulnerability is weakness. Um, that in the space of um, having to do more with less, that their primary challenge is, again, um, motivating, motiv motivation and encouragement and trying to get employees to, you know, double down and, and get them engaged. Um, and so it's about the vulnerability and, and leading with the need to be a little more, have more empathy, um, sharing that you don't have to know it all. So those are pre-pandemic kind of things, the basic traditional leadership challenges that we've seen again and again, decade after decade. But since the pandemic, there's been a significant shift. Interesting. Um Talk to our audience in a little bit more detail around, we've got an audience member who's listening to our show and she is considering taking her leadership journey. She's, she's considering starting her leadership journey. 
let's give her some advice, right? Let's, let's pave the way. How do you, how, what would you tell somebody who's looking or considering taking on a leadership role or an entrepreneurial journey? Um, let's, let's talk to that audience member of, of give them some advice. Yeah. So I would say to um, that future leader or that leader that's working right now, let's, the first thing is, is that when you are leading other people, when you decided to take on this leadership role, you, you know, you applied and congratulations, you're now the leader in the seat. You decided that I'm going to take on all the different leadership skills and attributes that you know I have benefited from. And I'm gonna model those because I've had great leaders in the past. And these are the things that I enjoyed about my previous leaders. And I'm gonna emulate that. I'm gonna role model that. And so we typically walk into those spaces saying, this is how I was led. I liked it. So I'm gonna you know, rinse and repeat. What I would submit for new leaders to do today is to continue to do that, but let's take it up a notch and recognize that now that you are in the seat, in the season that we're in now, the one thing that you need to consider is what you don't have. What skills don't you have? We, we know that you, you know, Skilling up requires understanding your financial models. Skilling up means understanding, you know, how the operations work and human resources. And so there's a lot of different details that come with leadership that you typically default and say, you know, I really don't know um, how to do that or a lot about that, but I'm too busy to stop and do something about it or learn it. So I would submit that you consider writing a list of the things that you believe you need to skill up in. And if that would mean working um, and on your operation side more, then do that. And again, you don't have to be the master of those skills, but you should consider knowing enough so that you can sit at a table and have an exchange, a very strong informational exchange to where you can get smarter at it. But you just need to be able to get started in that subject area. And you don't want to be the one searching and trying to figure it out. So skilling up would be something I would say right away. The second thing is increased empathy. We are in a season where the need to be more empathetic is like king, it's primary. Um, So outwardly, you're working with individuals more regarding what their needs are, their unmet needs, you know, what support they need. So increasing that empathy lens and being able to support the people that you lead differently than you have in the past, being sensitive of the challenges that the pandemic has caused, right? So when you're in a season where we have a labor shortage, we have to do more with less, then more responsibility falls on the leader. But at the same time, for those who are on your team, they need more empathy. They need more support as to how to navigate in these uh, changing times. And then third, I would say, while you're focused on those individuals, don't forget about yourselves. The most important part of being a leader is, of course, always being ready to step in and being in your most powerful role. And that would mean for you to have a safe place where you can go when things get tough for you. Where do you go when times are tough? Where do you go when you want to quit? Where, who do you speak to when you are considering your next opportunity and elevation and promotion. So sometimes we put our heads down and we go through and we are so dedicated to the people we're leading that we forget about ourselves. So please consider what does retreat look like for you? What does professional development look like for you? And making sure you have 
um, at least quarterly touch points, not just biannually, because typically you talk about twice a year, you do some type of touch point regarding your own professional development. I would submit as a leader, you may want to consider quarterly, what do you need to do to add value to your ultimate goal, like where you envision yourself in the future. That's, that's really impactful. Um, you know, one of the things I like to do is book just think time on my calendar. And I, I try to do it once a month and I block a half a day and I say, all right, just me and a blank piece of paper and a pen and a quiet room. And I try to get some sort of grounding from that experience. I'm curious, what other, what do you do in that, that self-care, that self-awareness? Um, Cause it, it is a critical component of leadership. It's you know, your self-leadership. And so I'd be curious, I'm curious of, of what, tricks and tips that you that you work on well to to be very direct once a month I'm always retreating someplace so once a month I find myself at my favorite spot um where I'm actually dedicating a full day of self-care so I will go to my favorite spot I will spend a full day I end my day at five o'clock sharp I do it's very rare that I have a reason to work after five so I start my day um, as soon as my, my children, their feet hit the floor, I'm up, of course, but my day for the office starts at 8 a.m. And so I'm working from 8 to, to, to 5. I'm taking a lunch all the time at, at noon. At, I'm always breaking for lunch. Um, so I have those really strict rules. And I started implementing that um, about three years ago where I said, there, these are my non-negotiables. Do not book my lunch hour. Those are, that's my time. Do not book anything after five o'clock. Um, if there is a reason to work after five and any of my team members are, you know, in emailing after five, they get, you know, a nice little talking to. It's like, okay, it was five o'clock when that email went out. Tell me why you're working after five. Um, and it had to, it really has to be a great, a good reason. Because a lot of times, even during, during the pandemic, when everyone's virtual and remote, you would end up working more hours and not really realizing how much more time you were putting at the desk because it was so much more convenient. And that was when I really had to be a lot more strict and, you know, bear down and say, hey, absolutely not. If anything, the best thing you could do is probably schedule that email for the next day, even though you may be working that night. Don't schedule that. Don't send it. Just schedule it for the next day because most people are going to respond if they see the email and they're going to feel obligated to respond. So very strict rules, Greg. I, I've been so, so um, determined to maintain that health and wellness because I can't, if I'm not at my best and my team's not at their best um, and I have to get all my proper rest. I mean, six to eight hours of sleep is super important to me. And so I must you know, tuck myself in not too many hours after I've tucked my, my youngest in. So I am very strict with my time. That's powerful. Um, and I, I find that, you know, diving back into email after dinner, when you've been frustrated with your kids not eating their vegetables, like that emotion comes out in your work response. And so by setting those boundaries, I love it. Like it, it eliminates you not being at your best when responding to certain things when it comes to your work. I'm, I'm really curious. You mentioned this, you started this three years ago. Was there a catalyst that, that happened three years ago that made you say, wait a second, 
I need to make some changes or put some limits in. Yeah. When the company started to grow exponentially, one of the things that I realized that if I don't get a grip on it now, then it will be out of control later. So it was important for me to hurry up and set the standard and train my team in that way that these are our standards. These are the rules that we are going to live by. And we are, if we do it now, then there's an established cadence for the future. And so that is why we did it. Because as soon as I saw the tides turning in the direction of growth, that was my first commitment to want to take care of yourself. Um, if you are not ready or working and, and sharp, this whole ship is going to go down. So this is do it now before you suffer later. And so that was my commitment to myself. And, and once I did that and I saw how, how well it was working for me and how much my uh, employees enjoyed that as well, because, you know, five o'clock comes, they're like, Tawana's not online. So no matter what's happening, they can enjoy the rest of their evening as well, you know? But again, there's always an emergency here or there that I'm very much aware of, or our international clients, time zones, you know, make a difference sometimes. And you have to have a later uh, day because of time zones, but that's not a normal thing. It's very rare. And maybe three times a year that might happen. Uh, so it, it was my looking into my future and saying, before I get there, what do I need to do now? So diving just a little bit deeper into that, I'm curious, what other benefits have you seen in your life outside of just the work guidelines from <laughs> implementing that type of guidelines in your work life? Yeah, the primary benefit is that I can continue to be a learner. So a uh, continuous learning, um, I'm an educator, I love to learn. And when I am able to shut those, those hours out, that's my reading time, my quiet time, the time when I consider um, you know, visions for the future. So there's, there's time that I spend in the third quarter of every, in the fourth quarter of every year planning for the next year, right? So I spend all of fourth quarter writing down my goals for the next year. But throughout the year, I am considering what knowledge do I want to um, obtain? What new thing do I want to know? And that the reading is super important. It's a lot of new uh, material in the marketplace. There's a lot of new research based on, you know, what's happened with COVID. So as a researcher, I, the, the primary thing that I enjoy doing is learning. So when I'm learning, I, I am in a zone and I feel amazing. And it just, it feeds me. It's like the, you know, it's the energy I need, like, you know, the sun to, to, to grow anything. I need to always learn. And I'm reading, researching, interviewing people um, casually, even when having a social hour, I'm still learning. And so I stay in that zone. And that's the benefit of having more time back is because I get to fulfill my need to learn my need to spend quality time with my family, my need to uh, rest. Uh, those are the three top things that make a difference. Fantastic. You mentioned your fourth quarter planning for next, the following year. Do you have a specific process you go through in your planning exercise? Absolutely. The first thing I do is uh, look at the trends that are um, that we've noticed throughout the first three quarters. What were some of the client trends? What are some of the challenges that they all have in common? So we look at common themes based on the first three quarters. 
Then we go and do research in the marketplace regarding where um, uh, education or the, basically in our specialty area, where are we headed based on research? So we'll go out and look at some thought leadership, some um, peer reviewed articles um, that support that theme and to, be, to begin to design uh, new content or to update our existing content based on that new information. And so that's the first thing you do. The second thing we do is to take our uh, strategic plan. So the strat plan is written, the very first flat strat plan I ever wrote when, you know, back in 2015, it's the same one. It's just evolved year after year. So I get to see the growth. And so I look at all of the measurements. So the strategic plan has is a historical um, as well as a current state and a future state snapshot. So I look at where we've come, where we are and where we're headed. And so and the, the other thing is to take the strat plan and add the new year to the strat plan so that it shows the progression. Um, we celebrate the wins um, and we continue to build on the, uh, the client list. So for instance, these are the clients that we have in this year. Now, which clients do we want in the future? And so it's almost like a, for some people, they would call it a vision board in, in a lot of ways where you're like, this is what I want to obtain. Um, in the next year. And so I began to very get very specific and granular about the type of client. So for instance, if I wanted to start working in the oil industry, I would begin to look at out of all the companies that are in um, that space, which ones are most attractive to me based on their efforts in the, in, in the work that we do. Fantastic. I love, and I haven't thought about this. So this is new for me. So thank you of using or having your strategic plan as a history, yeah. right? Many of the clients that I work with and even my own strategic planning, you kind of open up the document, you delete all the things from last year that you want to update, you make some updates, you hit save or you print it and hopefully you refer to it on, on an ongoing basis. And it sounds like yours is a living yes. document. It's a living document. And every year, um, we just add another column to the spreadsheet of the um, table that shows the revenue growth. So from 2015 all the way out, and it's not the same as a uh, you know a financial spreadsheet as we look at our costs and savings. Um, it's more so our our internal aspiration goals. Like what is it that we want by category, by line? Like you know um, whether it's student services, corporate services. You know what do we want to do, and we want to show it before we do financials. Let's just take a whack at what we want here in the future column by celebrating. So what we'll do is update the current column, like the current year column and say, okay, these are the actual numbers. This is what we wanted, but this is what we did. And we're able to show that and celebrate what happened um, year after year. And show when we're in that state of prediction, like we're predicting based on trends that we will be able to increase by you know 80%. And that's what that revenue would look like. Well, then when we go and talk to the finance team, they'll say, based on our trends, you actually can make that happen. And these are the ways you can do that. And so I like to go at it first before I talk to finance, because like I said, I'm visioning what I want for my company before I hear what other people see. I want to, I want to say, this is what I want because it's my passion. This is, this is my effort for the world. This is how I contribute my thought leadership to the world. It's mine. Let me first say what I want to do with it. And now everyone else tell me, is that possible? So I'm really curious as, a, as an economist, 
That's my undergraduate degree. Oh. How accurate has your Oh my God. Been? Spot on. Really? Spot on. Spot on. Yeah. I love it. And it's and it's been fun. Now it's a challenge. Before it was like it, you know, I would say, okay, I'm going to in the earlier years, you know, I'm going to double the revenue. So we're talking about, you know, 100% growth. I'm going to double revenue, keep doing that. So in the first three years, like I'm going to double, double, double. And so then you start getting into the bigger numbers, like doubling is not going to make sense right now. So what will make sense? And so then um, being able to pivot from the double to finding exactly, okay, is it more about doubling or is it more about acquiring the clients that would then with the money, maybe the money will come, but is it more about the client types that you're most interested in? And for me, that's what it's been. It's mm-hmm. because I'm very picky about who we work with. And that's because we are we are a luxury brand. If you look at us um, and what we do, Coach Diversity is a luxury brand. You, Everybody can't work with us. Everybody can't afford us. And so with that being said, we are extremely picky on who we work with and you have to be ready to work with us. Not because you have to have the right budget, but more, are you culturally ready for the work that we do? Are you situationally prepared? You know? And so we do this interview, they interview us, we interview them and by the end of the meeting, they say, okay, Tawana, are we your type? And I'll, I'll say yes or no. When I follow businesses and work with clients, I, it's always amazing when I see them shift from measuring revenue to measuring impact, right? And so to your point, at some point in time, you can't just keep doubling, right? That's mathematically impossible. I guess it is possible, but anyway, the sky's the limit, I guess. But at some point, the reality sets in and you really start worrying about or focusing on what's my impact of the work that I do with my community, with my employees. it's fascinating. You, you touched on that. So yes. let's take a different angle to one. I'd love to know and hear about your childhood, how you got into this profession, where the inspiration for your business came from. Like, let's talk about you for a little bit. Right. So um, my professional background is um, I start, I'm a chemist and mathematician. So my undergrad work as a scientist and um, I went and started working in the federal government space. And after uh, several decades, I transition from federal government because I wanted corporate experience. And so I then left federal and went into corporate spaces, um, did uh, another couple decades in corporate. And while I was there, I noticed my passion for people increasing professional development. So when you're in technology, it's just all about the products that you're designing. It's about the science, it's about the research and the labs, et cetera. But then you started to groom other talent so that you are designing these amazing teams to be more innovative and creative. And so now you're nurturing the talent to stay in the space of competitive uh, space for uh, design. When I turned on that part of my brain to focus on people and mentoring and sponsoring um, employees, finding untapped talent in the organization, finding people that were brilliant, but they didn't know how to sell themselves. People who had gifts that hadn't been explored before. I became extremely fascinated with how do I elevate this person to a place of visibility so that they can do the work that I believe that they can do to shine and to really help us um, with our our programs. And that was the beginning of it. And so for me, it was 
once I started putting together this incredible team of people and creating products that were always at the, you know, as far as top uh, most requested products or services, I knew I had a science behind it. And so I then started studying professional development. Traditional leadership was one thing, but I wanted to study how do you um, really nurture talent? And so that became a quest of mine. And so when I was in the corporate space, I had gotten to a point where I couldn't be managed anymore. I had gotten to the top of the food chain and I didn't want to spend any more time on the road traveling. 60% of my time was on the road. My oldest child was in middle school and I was gone so much that I was like, okay, there's got to be a point where you say, um, I've done as much as I'm willing to do for someone else. I think it's time for me to stay focused on something that I want now. And I decided that it was a perfect opportunity to one, uh, relocate. So I left corporate, relocated to Hawaii for two years, changed everything because I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. Um, I was traveling a lot. And I said, I'm going to homeschool my daughter. Um, we're going to live in Hawaii. I detoxed from the hustle and bustle of the East Coast. And while I was there, all the things kind of all the stars aligned and I discovered coaching and I found about coaching accidentally, but I knew that I was going to launch my own company. I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I knew those things were going to happen while I was away in Hawaii. It's just that, you know, what I was going to do to be different than others that were out there. Like what would be my secret sauce? When I discovered coaching, I nailed it. I knew that that was like, ah, this is the skill that's missing from all the things that I'm doing that I believe is going to make a difference in the work that we do. And so I integrated coaching into my management consulting firm, still working in the technical spaces in science and engineering. And all my clients began to understand the power of coaching, executive coaching, career coaching, all those types of things. And they began to see the value in it. And then we combined that with a lot of different curriculum, workshops and training and education. And then the rest is history because after that, I then realized that we needed to diversify a bit more. So within the coaching space, it's a, a very, um, very, uh, it, it has, it lacks diversity and very plain, very basic. So there wasn't enough variety of coaching approaches. And so I knew that my clients were asking for a very particular type of support. And so diversity meant finding people that were different, differently abled, people that had different languages, people that were ethnic, ethnically and gender different. And that became my new mission. Okay, so my building my consultancy, I need to diversify by making sure I'm hiring the diversity that is a reflection of the employees that are within these organizations. And then that, uh, that was the beginning of it all. And we have um, done some fantastic work working with almost every industry. I mean, this is amazing watching people um, embrace our curriculum and watch the work that we do and the way we change the world. It's fantastic. Thanks. Um, so let's talk about your coaching business and the ideal, if, if there is such a thing. Talk to me about what a typical client, what they're seeking, you know, somebody's listening to our podcast today and they're considering taking on a coach for whatever aspect of their life. And for me, right, I've got coaches in my life for many different things, right? So I've got a triathlon coach, I've got my life coach, I've got 
my, my swimming coach, I've got a golf coach, like all these things. And, and you can't just have one coach for everything. I've right. learned the hard way. Talk to us about your clientele, who, who gets attracted to what you're offering. Yeah. So we have uh, three primary services. One, we certify professionals in the coaching skill set. And we are the only institute, training institute in the coaching space that combines diversity, equity, inclusion, education, and coaching together. So we are teaching um, professionals how to coach across diverse lines so that you're able to uh, support employees that are different from you. Um, and believe it or not, you know, you would think that when I'm working with someone, I'm just helping them goal set or something like that. Well, everyone approaches the world differently and they have different experiences and their the way they experience the world must be respected and honored and understood. And so we teach people how to coach across diverse minds. So certification is one. The second one we do is one-on-one -on -one coaching, like you described. I work with you, Greg, you're my executive um, client and we work on you know, your goals regarding your professional development or something that's going on in your uh, office. Companies hire us to provide a bench of coaches. So they'll say, Tawana, we are um, wanting you to um, provide coaching services to um, 150 executives. And so we would then provide them a roster of coaches for them to choose from. And then those relationships will get started. And then the last thing we do is customized training, where people would say, in the space of diversity and inclusion, we want to learn more about microaggressions. We need to learn more about psychological safety. We want to know more about how to lead inclusively. So they will then hire us to come in to help them design their diversity plans and their learning journey um, as it pertains to creating opportunities for people to become more inclusive, creating a, a shifting culture from one state to another to where people feel more seen, heard, respected, and valued. And so we design unique training, we do assessments, and we do a lot of work internally with that company to see like, where's your current state? And then let's design action to get you to where you really want to be. And so in those three um, areas, the clients that come to us they are, a lot of them are in the helping profession. So they're educators, they're lawyers, they are um, uh, therapists and counselors. And then they're also leaders who are leading an organization and saying, I have a very diverse team, but I feel like as a leader, I'm not doing my best for them. And so they come to us for them to level up their leadership, to be more inclusive. And the, the best part of our work is that nationally and internationally. So it doesn't matter even if it's a global company, even our global companies are all still having the same challenge, right? So they, the best way to describe it is, again, if you are a leader who has a diverse team that you're leading and you wonder if you are able to engage that employee at, you know, in, at, are you disconnected or connected with them? Um, what does performance look like? Do you need to improve, but you don't know how to connect because it's, they're different from you? And difference, we, we typically frame difference in the level one, which is everything I see that's different, gender, race, ethnicity. What's under that though is level two diversity. So I'm working with a, a person who, a single parent, who is caring for, also caring for her elderly parents. So you have this, these uh, 
structure, familiar structures, and then you have the culture and you have education. So there's so many things that I create identities that are way below surface and that impacts how you show up in the world. So my stress comes in because I'm a single mom. I have to run my household. I have to leave the office at a certain time. But my leader needs me to be there and they don't understand the complexities of my level two diversity. That's what I'm talking about. It's connecting those dots and uh, people who are ready to fix those challenges so they can get the best out of their people to be more inclusive, to stay competitive in this global marketplace. 20, what, what we call it is mid 21st century leadership. And that requires you to identify what the gaps are in your leadership that's keeping you from being able to connect and to those individuals that are really driving the company. That that level two analysis is fantastic. And I feel the pandemic has opened a, a little bit of that window, right? There's been so many phone calls, so many Zoom calls that my kids have Zoom bombed me. I'm on with a client and next thing you know, they're behind the scenes talking to whoever I'm talking to. So it's made that, that brought the family life into work life. Yes. Um, and I love the fact that you're focused on that, right? Because it, it, it is a huge part of what we bring to our work life every day, right? However, my kids ate breakfast in the morning, if that was a good experience or a bad experience, will dictate how I kick off my day at 830, right? Yes. And if I were, if I were working with you, and I wasn't aware of how your home life is, you know, sometimes, not all times, in some type of chaotic spin, how you show up at the office, I can take it personal. It's like, what's going on with you, Greg? Why, you know, your mood's different. It has nothing to do with me. But if I don't talk to you about that, then I would assume there's a problem between us. And there's no problem between us at all. It's just that you have your mind someplace else and how you're showing up is causing me to perceive something that's not accurate. And so that is level two diversity. That's powerful. So, so shifting gears a little bit, um, one of our audience members is looking to connect with you. What's your preferred social media connect point? LinkedIn, Facebook, email? Yeah. I, our clients find us on LinkedIn primarily. So LinkedIn is my primary um, go-to. So if anyone wants to connect, you can definitely find me, Tawana Burrows, um on LinkedIn. Too easy to do that. Yeah, I love LinkedIn. Yeah, it's addictive. <laughs> and we'll we'll have your social media links in our show notes. So anyone who's trying to write that down quickly, um, just scroll down at the end of the show and you'll see all our show notes. So uh, Tawana, one last question. I see a ton of books behind you. You've talked about uh, your reading process, your learning process, your all-time favorite impactful book. All-time favorite? That is not fair, Greg. <laughs> You can make a list of three. If you know, that's okay, if that's I can't, I, I have to be honest with you. I can't say I have an all-time favorite. I can tell you that right now, what I am reading that has really been enlightening is a book called Cast. Um, and actually it's right here on my shelf, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's right here. Um, this book has been quite enlightening about the origins of um, our discontent. The origin of our discontent um, here in the United States. And it's been very enlightening. It is a New York Times bestseller. Again, so cast is very interesting. It's a historical view. Um, it's also one of uh, Oprah's book club. So it's so popular that a lot of 
book clubs and a lot of best uh, uh, best lists are putting cast there. But it's very interesting about the, the history of the United States and where we are and what got us to where we are today, which is the work that I do. And understanding that historical context um, in the classroom brings so much value to a leader when you're helping them to try to understand unresolved issues that um, some of your employees may have that are um, keeping them in a uh, state of mind that they really don't feel seen, heard, respected, or valued. And that history lends a lot of into that. So that's what I'm doing now. Fantastic. Well, I'll put that in my Amazon cart. Shortly. <laughs> um, I'm going to squeeze in one, one more question. Sure. What, what about the future gets you excited? Oh, the, oh my gosh. What about the future gets me excited? Well, in my, in my work, I believe that I am touching the future generation of work, the workforce, our future workforce. I get to work in uh, K-12. I, used, I get to work with higher education. So I, I am able to work with the professors as well as the classroom instructors for high school who are touching students every day. And my ability to give them these skills that they need to show what mid 21st century leadership is about as they are educating and instructing the next generation. Um, that is so exciting for me. Um, I, I know the power of the work that we do. I see it in evidence and, and research and all the data reports shows us that the work that we're doing is changing lives and changing the way people are behaving. And I really am excited about the opportunity that my oldest daughter gets to go into an office and she uses her skills so that she's able to, because she's, she's an officer in the, um, the army. So she, she gets to use her skills to lead as a 21st century leader. My son, who's in middle school, helping him to process and think through perceptions and understanding, especially middle school years, the weird years, right? So I'm really excited about how the coaching skill is helping leaders to connect better with um, our workforce, our future workforce. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, those fun middle school years. Anyway, <laughs> we can have a whole new show just on that topic. Absolutely. Well, Tawana, it's been amazing having you on our show today. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. It's been great. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.